Let's open our Bibles, first of all, to Matthew chapter 3. Read there the first 12 verses of that chapter. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that spoken of by the prophet Esaias, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in the Jordan confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Especially verse 11 is our text this morning. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Also, please turn with me to Acts chapter 2. You have the preaching there on that Pentecost morning of Peter, explaining what took place, and he exposes them as those who had crucified Jesus Christ, but that was God's determined plan in order to save, whom God raised up, he says. And now this is the reaction, verse 37 and following. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? 
Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And again, there is the text, verse 38. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, why do we baptize infants? That was also explained in the form for baptism, wasn't it? And there are Christians who object to infants being baptized. They say the person, first of all, has to have faith, And they need to repent, and only then can they be baptized. And so they conduct what they call a believer's baptism only. Believer's baptism only. In February, with another baptism, we looked at, yes, faith is necessary, but not necessarily in that order. First faith and then baptism, but rather Because of Christ's baptism of us with his spirit, we do believe. Infants will believe in Christ Jesus. Now we look at the order of repentance. Again, those who argue for a believer's baptism only is that there's not only faith, but also repentance must precede their being baptized. What text do they use? Well, the very one that we just read from Acts chapter 2. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They say, see, that's the order. Repent and then be baptized. Mark 1 verse 4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And then the other text that we have this morning, Matthew 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So what exactly is this water of baptism that is unto repentance? What is this water of baptism that is unto repentance? Notice with me, first of all, the necessity for repentance. Notice, second of all, then, John the Baptist baptism that he conducted. What he says about his baptism and Christ's baptism. And then we look at the argument that those Christians make that no infants should not be baptized. 
What is this baptism unto repentance? What is repentance? Repentance, beloved, is God's work, God's work in our hearts. Faith is the activity of believing in Jesus Christ and living out of Jesus Christ. That activity of necessity must follow the implanting of that new faith. The activity of faith has its cause then in the principle or the seed that is planted in us in regeneration. We are made new creatures. That activity of faith takes the form of conversion, doesn't it? We hear the word of God and there is a turning of ourselves, a turning from sin, a turning to Jesus Christ. Repentance is a sincere sorrow of heart that we have provoked God by our sins. Repentance is more and more our hating our sins and fleeing our sins. That conversion is the fruit of faith. Conversion, considered as repentance, is a change of our mind and a change of our will. By the power of faith, both mind and will are changed from sinfulness to righteousness, turned in the direction of the living God. Yes, the mind. The mind judges radically different about guilt and sin. The mind now condemns that kind of sin and condemns ourselves before God because of our sin. That's the mind. The will is turned from a different direction. Instead of serving sin, wanting to do sin, wanting to be like the world, now there is a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. That old man is put to, to death, and the new man in Christ Jesus is quickened by faith. The conversion of a person is accomplished in principle, a conversion that takes place the rest of our lives, every day, turned from self, turned from sin, turned to God in Christ Jesus. Now how does that radical turning take place in one's life? Well, from Acts chapter 2, it's very clear that the apostle Peter is bringing the word of God. He is preaching. And Peter preaches powerfully. And that word that is preached is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of our thoughts and the intents of our heart. We read that in Hebrews chapter 4. It is God's word that he uses by his spirit to open up our heart. The scriptures reach down into our souls. That the church is called then to faithfully preach the word. That's what Paul writes to Timothy, doesn't he? Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. 
preaching of the word and our activity is the calling to hear that word of God. How necessary it is then to attend a church where the word is sincerely preached. Again from Hebrews we're told not to neglect the assembling of ourselves together as the custom of some is. So there is the preaching of the word and that Holy Spirit now taking that word that is preached and hiding it in our hearts. And what is the effect of that preaching? It's the pricking of the heart, isn't it? That's what we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. They were pricked in their hearts. The audience that day were brought up in legalism, which was trying to earn your own righteousness by works. They thought they were pretty good. They would say, Abram's our father, we're okay. And John the Baptist says, God is able to raise up even stones to be his children. It's not our works that save us at all. It is God's grace worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit using the means of the preaching of the word. And so the audience there in Acts chapter 2, we read, they were pricked in their hearts and they said, what shall we do? What caused that effect in them? Yes. Yes, it's the grace of God through the word that is preached as it's applied by the Holy Spirit. That's what made the change. That's what makes the change in that audience. That's what makes the change in this audience. God's word comes like a hammer that breaks that hard heart of ours to pieces. I want to ask a couple questions. Is that the effect that God's word preached has upon you? Is that the effect it has on your heart? Not indifference. Not that you greet Christ Jesus with neutrality. Not cold complacency but being pricked by the word, bringing remorse over your sins, and by faith looking to the only Savior, Jesus Christ. There are many who look for miracles today. Well, beloved, one of the greatest miracles is the power of God's grace. The power of God's grace through the preached word to prick your and my hearts in repentance and trust in God, in Christ Jesus. Pricked in the heart, what is it? The heart is our spiritual center, the spiritual life that we have before God. The heart is not simply a matter of feelings or emotions. The heart is that central part of us that God has created us with. And that heart is dead through sin. That heart, as it's approached by God in the preaching of the word, 
can only have two different directions it moves. Either we fall down and worship this God who has changed us, or we stand back and we're hardened against it. We plug our ears and we don't want to hear any more of it. Two reactions to Christ through the preaching of the word. And there was that reaction. Many of those men and women in that audience today, how many? 3,000 were pricked in their hearts and they believed in Jesus Christ. But yes, there were the rebellious and the wicked also as they came to John the Baptist, didn't they? Who is this prophet? What is he teaching? Hardened hearts. Oh, the preached word brings a response. And you answer. And I answer. What is my response to the word? Boys and girls, do you remember when Stephen, the deacon, was preaching He preached the word, and we read in Acts chapter 7, the people understood it and they hated it, didn't they? They stopped their ears and they stoned Stephen, didn't they? Yes, the word preached, and that audience made them even harder. But oh, oh, the saving work of the Holy Spirit, that's what we're celebrating today, isn't it? God's great gift given to the church in Christ, the Holy Spirit. So that when the word comes to our ears, the Holy Spirit brings it to our hearts and there is a conviction of sin. There is a softened heart that is sorry for sin. And yes, it says with the audience in Acts 2, men, what shall we do? And the answer is, repent and be baptized, every one of you. So there is this close connection of faith and repentance that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Has the Holy Spirit pricked your heart yet this morning? Is your response this morning faith in Christ Jesus and repentance of your sin, an irresistible work of grace? Does the word of God convict you? Yes or no? Not maybe. Yes or no? Does that word of God slay you? That is, does it prick your hearts? And does that word of God then also comfort you? Comfort you with a glorious gospel of the only Savior, Jesus Christ. Does the preaching of the word leave you no place to turn so that you are broken up in holy sorrow and brought to an amazing joy in Christ Jesus? God's work of grace. So that our response should be Shall we continue in sin? God forbid. So it is a baptism of water unto repentance. 
That is what we read of John's baptism. John preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. So, they're right. Baptism and repentance, they go together, don't they? They belong together, just like baptism and faith go together. But now, what is the necessary order? Does one have to first of all believe and be and repent before one can be baptized. That is the position of the believer's baptism only. Well, yes. That word of, the baptism of repentance, that word of could mean the baptism that has its source in repentance. Then suggesting that baptism should be first and repentance follows. But those words also of repentance might also mean that baptism and repentance belong to one another without saying anything about the order in which they occur. In other words, that text says nothing about the order that the two occur in, but rather means repentance and baptism always go together. Baptism demands repentance. Baptism demands repentance, either before or after or both. Is there an order taught in the scriptures? And in our two passages, Matthew 3, verse 11, on the top of your notes, outlines, or Acts chapter 2, verse 38, clearly teach that repentance follows baptism. It is a baptism, notice from Matthew 3, verse 11, unto repentance, or literally into repentance. There's a motion there, isn't it? Baptism is administered with a view that repentance and faith will follow that. The baptism of John looked forward to the repentance of that Jewish audience. There's an important difference in how one views the sacraments. The difference between the Reformed view of the Scriptures and other Christians. For the Baptist, baptism is a sign or a mark of what we have done. We have repented, we have believed, and therefore we receive the water of baptism. What is the Reformed view? Water baptism is a sign of what God alone can do in regenerating us. In other words, baptism doesn't mark our response, but rather it's the work of grace itself. It's a picture, isn't it? It's a picture that just as water washes dirt off the outside of our bodies, so also the sins in the heart are washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what God does in saving us. 
He does it first of all. He does it when we're still incapable even of responding to that gracious work. Now, why, what is the difference? You see, they say the baptism of John was one thing. It's way different than the baptism of Christ Jesus. And that's why we read also from Matthew 3 where John the Baptist is going to point out, yes, we're both baptizing. I'm going to baptize you. Christ is going to baptize you. But there's a difference. And the difference is this. While John the Baptist preached, and while he baptized people, he couldn't touch their hearts, could he? He could not affect a change in them himself. And the water that I just put on Audrey this morning. I can't change her heart. I can't make it soft. But Christ, unlike John the Baptist and unlike Aud Sprinsma, Christ Jesus baptized with his spirit. Christ makes that baptism actual. Christ by his spirit puts new life. In his children. While they're still in the womb, shortly after they're born, sometimes way later in their life, Christ baptizes with his spirit and with fire. What a beautiful work that is. What a beautiful work. The Roman Catholic Church rejects the idea that the baptism of John and the baptism of Christ are really the same thing, a baptism unto repentance. The Council of Trent, we read, if anyone said that the baptism of John had the same force as the baptism of Christ, let him be anathema, let him be cursed, that says. And sad to say, even some Reformed people don't want to identify those two together. There's one other passage I want to read, and that's from Acts chapter 19, the first seven verses. There was a bunch of folks that came to Paul when he is preaching in Corinth. And Paul said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Spirit since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much heard that there is any Holy Spirit. And he said unto them, Then unto what were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism, John the Baptist. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve in number. What's taking place there? Did Paul rebaptize them? And the answer is absolutely not. John is telling them, yes, you were baptized by John the Baptist, and when you were baptized by him, you were really baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the only way you can be saved. 
And because the Holy Spirit works, he now filled them. That is the idea of his laying his hands on them. Now may they experience what the Holy Spirit is doing in their lives. In those days, you might remember in the Old Testament, the sign of the sacrament was circumcision. That showed that you were part of the kingdom of God. But baptism was taking place because there were Gentiles that were also coming into the church. And John recognizes that even of the Jews, most of them were just Jews in the flesh. That is not by faith. And therefore he baptized them also saying, you need to repent. You're not saved by your works. You are only saved from your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the significance then of the baptism that took place this morning. It's a picture. That water applied to Audrey is a picture of what Christ alone does by his spirit, washing away all of our sins, separating us from the mass of humanity, separating us unto Christ Jesus. What a picture. What a picture we saw for Audrey and Jack and Megan are going to explain it later on when Audrey gets older and can understand that. But what a picture for each one of us. That's the significance. Not only is there the preaching where we hear what Christ has done, but there is a picture. What Christ has done in our lives washes away our sins so that we're sorry for them, renewed so that we want to serve him all of our lives. That is why we baptize infants. Because without their knowledge, they were brought into this world as sinners. That's all us as human parents can do, bring sinners into this world. But the grace of God, whether still in the womb or shortly afterwards or later on in one's life, the Holy Spirit is given by Christ Jesus so that he works new life in us. Our sins are gone. Yes, infants, as they are sinners by nature, by grace, washed and saved in Christ Jesus. God works in the line of generations, doesn't he? As Christian parents, we want to have children. It's a blessed thing to have children. They are the heritage of the Lord because Christ Jesus is gathering his church in our generations. That's why we take our boys and girls to church, isn't it? That they may hear the word of God also and know Christ as their Savior. As we read in Acts 2, verse 39, the promise, that is the promise of salvation, the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. We are, beloved, baptized unto repentance. 
Are you doing that? When the day is over and you go over it in your mind, and you think of words that you spoke in anger, or you think of thoughts that ran through your mind and weren't erased right away, or deeds that you do, do you get on your knees and do you call upon your God and do you say, Lord, forgive me all of my sins. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. What a picture. Washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. We believe in Christ Jesus, we repent of our sins, we turn away from them. And then we say, Lord, give me strength. Give me strength so that I may continue to fight the good fight. That I may run the race set before me. That I may serve thee with my mind and with my will and all that I am. Amen. Our Father in heaven. We thank thee for thy precious word. And when thy word speaks about our sins, may our hearts be pricked by thee, so that we cry out, what shall I do? And that then we also may repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. May the Holy Spirit Soul that word in our hearts so that there's comfort. Even though we know we daily commit sins, thou dost forgive them, and through the blood of Jesus Christ declares us righteous. Amen.